In American history, there has always been a looming concern that a race war is coming. Popular subculture often features race war as the theme of music, games, animations, or just as a casual expression used on social media. And too often, historical narratives don't clearly define the meaning of race war. Race war usually references an interracial confrontation or conflict of any kind. However, a race war is not really about hostile encounters that belie racism. A race war is a full paramilitary style violent conflict where both parties display an ideological commitment, socio-political organization, and the strategic capacity to wage war. However, that scenario has never happened. In United States history, interracial clashes have often resulted in blacks defending themselves from assault. These incidents, including lynching, were frequently described as race wars and race riots. One example is the Tulsa massacre of 1921. But the destruction of the Greenwood District in Tulsa was no race war in the classic sense. It was a campaign of white supremacist harassment, terror, and wholesale violence against the prosperous community. Newspaper accounts condemned black people for defending their lives and property. And even with all of the literature and media that has been produced since the destruction of this community, the prevailing idea still is that it was a race war. This is Dr. Catherine Bancoli Medina with The Invention of Racism. The goal of this podcast series is to share the subtle and not so subtle nuances of racism from the past into the 21st century. Understanding and speaking the truth about racism is the first step toward combating and ultimately eliminating it. This podcast episode, Rumors of a Race War, takes a moment to examine the idea of a race war in the American mind. Two events that immediately stand out in the history of American race relations is the helter-skelter motive in the Charles Manson trial in 1970, and more recently, the FBI's prosecution of three men, Christopher Cook, Jonathan Frost, and Jackson Sawall, for attempting to destroy power grids and fomenting a race war in the United States. Please keep in mind that this podcast focuses on extreme anti-black racism and does not diminish how these incidents also target Muslims, Jews, Latinos, and Asian Americans. Finally, this episode contains content that may be alarming or even disturbing to some viewers, listeners, so please check the keywords for indications and take care of yourself. As we get started, know that there is a long unfounded fear involving black people taking up arms against white people in the United States territory. Before the 1800s, blacks were barred from using weapons in support of the army. 
There were laws forbidding enslaved and free Africans from possessing and using firearms or weapons of any kind. This race war anxiety carried over to the Civil War, where nearly 10% of troops who were black were relegated to service and menial jobs and limited in the combat arena. After the war, Southerners demonstrated their resentment of black men in uniform and stoked fears that black men would rape white women and massacre white people. The 1915 silent film, The Birth of a Nation, helped to solidify the impression that blacks were a menace to white society in the Reconstruction era, which gave a potent rationale for the escalation of the Ku Klux Klan. This morbid idea that blacks might possibly mount a race war continued to circulate in the United States before, during, and after every war up to and including the Korean and Vietnam Wars. This concern was clear panic-based transference for an historical tradition of racism, racial discrimination, and race-based violence. The post-war concerns over a militarized, black-induced race war never materialized. What has been true is that in addition to largely embracing forms of peaceful protest and a doctrine of nonviolence, black people have armed themselves to defend against violent racist attacks from groups like the KKK and other white hate groups. By the 1960s, there was the established notion of an organized black initiated tactical race war in the American mind. This idea was influenced by African countries taking up arms and declaring independence from European colonial powers. This impression also came from the rise of the black power movement and the determination of young black activists to fight against random racial violence. And this notion was further solidified by the civil unrest in over 100 cities across the country over the assassination of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., where people clearly protested and clearly rioted. And mainly safe in their neighborhoods, white society was very worried. When the bulk of the destruction taking place in the cities occurred in predominantly black communities. In 1968, as in in the post-Civil War past, white people were in no real danger of an organized militaristic war from black people. However, this did not mean that some people had given up prophesizing a black-led race war. One of those people calling for a race war was Charles Manson. And remember that Manson, from childhood, had spent most of his life in prison. He was convicted of forgery, burglary, grand theft auto, armed robbery, rape, the sex trafficking of women under the Mann Act, no less, and a host of other crimes. Manson was at the center of the the Tate-LaBianca murders, the crime of the century in 1969. And you could argue that the youth counterculture movement of the 1960s officially ended with the Manson trial. In the late summer of 1969, 
Manson's pseudo-hippie cult followers brutally murdered several white people in the elite California neighborhood of Bel Air. One of the victims was an aspiring actress, Sharon Tate, who was eight months pregnant. The Manson clan wanted to send a creepy message to the nation. His crew was instructed to take their victim's blood and write the words pig, which was a reference to the police and also uh, referenced the white wealthy elites. They were also to write the word war, death to pigs, the word rise, and the word helter skelter. On the surface, one might think that the Tate-LaBianca murders were the disorganized, out-of-control killings perpetrated by LSD-addled and even scatterbrained hippies. But these crimes were part of a larger plan designed to stage and bring about a race war in the United States. You see, Manson, who had a history of disturbing psychiatric issues, had devised an apocalyptic prophecy, which involved framing the black nation for crimes he and his family had committed. Manson's plan was known as Helter Skelter, a very old term that means chaos and confusion. When the Beatles, which Manson believed were the four horsemen of the biblical apocalypse, when they recorded a song by that title, Helter Skelter, he thought that they were sending him coded messages to start Armageddon. He also added to this prophecy his own interpretation of the Bible's Book of Revela Revelations and other esoteric Eastern philosophies. Manson and his family would orchestrate a series of crimes against wealthy and well-known whites, which would appear to be perpetrated by blacks, signaling that groups like the Black Panthers and the Nation of Islam were to blame. White society would conclude that this was the coming of a race war and retaliate. According to Manson, an exhaustive race war would ensue and destroy the entire infrastructure of the nation. Black people would prevail in this race war and establish rule for a time. However, as the Manson racist delusion goes, black people, because of innate intellectual inability, would not be able to lead or govern. Blacks would then ask Manson and his followers, who would number 144,000 another reference to the book of Revelation, to take over. The prophecy concludes with Manson leading his family out of a desert cave, taking control of government and subjugating and enslaving black people. The imaginary race war that Manson longed for in 1969, of course, once again, never took place. Manson and the members of his cult family involved in the Tate-LaBianca murders were convicted of first-degree murder. But perhaps we don't talk enough about the implications of Manson's racist conception of Helter Skelter because his incoherent rants were not taken seriously. But Manson's hatred for the white wealthy representatives 
of the power structure was only surpassed by his contempt for black people. In his scheme, the entire black nation can be disposed of by framing them for a race war. The white wealthy elite could also be dispensed with, thus leaving a white nationalist populist state. This was envisioned as a white-on-white -white crime where the downtrodden underdog sought to change places with the established overlords. But the reality is that blacks are often viewed as vulnerable, as a vulnerable or threatening population where white supremacists can project their fears and then retaliate based on those fears. Race war has always been more than a random or casual idea in this society. For some, it is a foundational ethos. In 1978, the novel, The Turner Diaries, was published by William Luther Pierce using the pseudonym Andrew MacDonald. The novel narrates a violent apocalyptic world where the U.S. government is seized and the ultimate goal is to create chaos which leads to a full-scale race war. In this fictional race war, people of color, Jews, and white liberals are systematically executed. This racist, anti-black, and anti-Semitic novel is considered one of the ultimate guidebooks for white supremacists all over the world. It promotes racist stereotypes, the fundamental white supremacist pseudo theories of grievance and genocide and is believed to be connected to countless domestic terrorist acts in the U.S. and abroad. As in the Manson family's 1969 apocalyptic narrative, there is also a link to the desert in Pierce's novel. The Turner Diaries depicts African Americans as being pushed into the desert in order to cause economic strife and thus even more chaos while Jewish people are executed. And to intensify the primal racist fears of white society, the Turner Diaries imagines a black compound where evidence of a sophisticated cannibalism operation is found. But this is fiction. Unfortunately, Race war is a real concept in American culture, but it is not a construct of black society. We have more evidence and concrete data of anti-black racism in the form of violence by white supremacists. Yet no one is astonished by the innumerable utterances, plots, and even first strikes intended to launch a race war. The idea of race war is entrenched in the culture but society has become desensitized to racial violence and some people vehemently deny the existence of these documented, targeted racist attacks. And yet, the violent white supremacist movement has been identified as the main domestic threat to national security by many. And I remember um, in 2005, 11 black people in New Orleans, Louisiana, were shot and killed by vigilantes in the midst of Hurricane Katrina. 
And in 2015, Dylan Roof, who shot nine black people to death in Charleston at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church, he clearly said that he wanted to start a race war. Four years later, a white supremacist citing the Great Replacement Theory in his manifesto singled out Mexicans at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, killing 23 people and wounding 25. Finally, on Friday, August 28, 2020, thousands of peaceful protesters came to Washington, D.C. to commemorate the 1963 March on Washington, a protest event which is celebrated as part of the civil rights movement led by African Americans. And it was a peaceful protest. There were no reported disturbances or arrests associated uh, with this event at all. In contrast, a counter-protest group also appeared in the city that weekend. City leaders called them outside agitators, believed to have been associated with the far-right movement. This group destroyed property and attacked police. Approximately 27 people were arrested. In response, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser stated that she was afraid that the country was, quote, descending into a race war, end quote. There are exhaustive data and lists of white supremacist extremist exploits compiled by independent observers and several government agencies. The FBI reported that in 2020, there were 8,263 hate crimes reported in the United States, the highest number since 2001. Now of that 8,263 hate crimes reported in 2020, 2,871 were the result of anti-black bias. In 2021, the Federal Bureau of Investigation published Strategic Intelligence Assessment and Data on Domestic Terrorism, which summarizes what they refer to as racially or ethnically motivated extremism, uh, and they abbreviated as RMVE. And you can take a look at the FBI-designated significant domestic terrorism incidents in the United States from 2015 through 2019 in this particular report. We will always find those who will pick up and carry rumors of a race war. It is the same old script which seeks to criminalize, limit, and extinguish the black population. For example, the 2022 court documents of Christopher Cook, Jonathan Frost, and Jackson Sawal show that these three white males, all under the age of 25, plan to destroy power grids in the U.S. in furtherance of extremist ideology, including white supremacy. The three met online in 2019 and began recruiting. As purportedly avowed white supremacists and neo-Nazis, they focused their interstate recruitment efforts on juveniles, believing that they would be able to uh, better avoid undercover police. 
For lack of a better term, these power grid terrorists wanted to destroy the transformers and cause massive power outages in the United States. This would presumably cause chaos in the nation, which would negatively impact labor and the economy. Fearful whites would then rise up and create more disorder. According to one of the Frost court documents, there were also conversations about how the possibility of the power being out for many months could cause some serious change or straight out war or even a race war. They had plans to distract and possibly bomb police who got in their way and they were heavily supplied and equipped with weapons for this interstate operation. They were also prepared to be suicide terrorists in this effort. Necklaces laced with the deadly synthetic drug fentanyl were created and they intended to use them in the event they were caught by law enforcement. In fact, when the police randomly stopped them, Sawal took his suicide pill, but he survived. The three were eventually charged and pled guilty to crimes related to conspire, conspiring to attack power grids throughout the United States in furtherance of racially or ethnically, ethnically motivated violent extremism, advocating for the supremacy of the white race. When they are eventually sentenced, the three can receive a maximum of 15 years in prison. The point is, violent white supremacist extremists do have a specific blueprint for inciting a race war. The broad steps are as follows. First, cause extreme chaos and turmoil in the country. Massively disrupt the economy, the infrastructure, services, the supply chain, etc. Second, recruit ideologically compatible and loyal members. Third, neutralize, incapacitate, or eliminate any law enforcement. And fourth, engage in an unrestrained mass casualty campaign targeting black and other non-white people. We have to wrap this up. So I will leave you with the words of the late journalist Samuel Yet. He was the author of The Choice, The Issue of Black Survival in America. And Samuel Yet said, war and racism have common roots and objectives. Both begin in hate, fear, and suspicion, and both have as their objective a permanent advantage and domination of one's group or ideology over the other. The victor writes the history of the war and makes what he hopes will be the rules for all future endeavors. One of my takeaway thoughts on this is we need to end white supremacist violence, anti-black aggression, to construct a culture of peace and put an end to all wars.
Postscript. A lot has happened since this podcast was recorded. On February 21st, 2022, the Russian president recognized two separatist regions in eastern Ukraine as independent and then ordered Russian troops to act as so-called peacekeepers. While the Russian attack on Ukraine represents a major war now being waged on the Eurasian continent, we are no less reminded of how racial issues manifest in that sphere. Remember, the Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election where cyber operatives attempted, among other lofty goals, to manipulate the African-American voter population. They sought to weaponize black trauma and racial injustice issues to influence voter opinion and the outcome of the U.S. presidential election. And we can't forget the early stories of blacks fleeing Ukraine, many university students and women and children being discriminated against in the evacuation and relief efforts because they are black. As I said in the podcast, when blacks are seen as a vulnerable or threatening population, others will project their fears and retaliate based solely on those fears. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Support for podcasts like The Invention of Racism is so critical at this moment. In the national and global effort to dismantle racism and to establish human equality, we need as many thoughtful, independent, and courageous voices as possible. If you believe in and appreciate this anti-racism podcast, continue to download, like, share, and support us. I also encourage you to use your media platform to honestly analyze, examine, and put an end to racism. If you are listening to this podcast, then you already know. Discourse on racism is not for the faint of heart. I hope that you will continue to join me as I present key topics in the invention of racism.